Animism Radio explores our connection to the plant, animal, mineral, human, and spiritual realms to help you live in divine relationship with all that is. Hi, I'm Laura Giles, your host of Modern Animism Radio. Our guests are people who share who they are and what they do to help us see life from someone else's lens so that we can gain compassion or see a side of ourselves that we didn't see before. Today, I'm joined by Tina Haywood, who is an Australian Aboriginal author of We Are Warriors, an autobiography of growing up poor, surrounded by domestic violence and addiction. Tina is also a motivational speaker and mentor. But first, let's touch feet to the ground and bring our hearts into sacred space by giving gratitude to the elements and ancestors. To the earth below, who provides us with food, shelter, beauty, sensuality, stability, and a firm foundation, I thank you. To the air above that gives us oxygen, discernment, detachment, communication, and the ability to fly, I thank you. To the fire that purifies, destroys, and empowers us to create, I give thanks. And to the water that gives us life is our emotional side and washes away our pain, I thank you. To the human, plant, animal, and mineral ancestors, thank you for all that you do that is seen and unseen. To the elders who pave the way and show us through their lives how to walk towards death, I send gratitude. Thank you to all of our listeners around the world. If we inspire, educate, arouse you, or give you anything of value, please consider reciprocating with a share or review our podcast because it helps us to reach more people. Feel free to join our private Facebook group if you'd like to connect to our virtual community. If you'd like to support as you grow in your animist practice, go to patreon.com forward slash pan society and become an insider we offer group ancestral clearings a book club and an online class for those who want to take it to a deeper level thank you and now let's turn it to our guest tina haywood welcome tina thanks for being here good morning um lara how are you i'm fabulous thanks for being here i know it's late there it's very early here so i appreciate you making time for me it was not easy to connect (laughs) no much appreciated I would like to acknowledge the ancestors of the country too and um, all your people over there and um, the states and along with my um, ancestors too over here in Australia as I'm a proud um, Yupangathi and Gangalita woman, I was Aboriginal woman, um, descendant, you know, from 65,000 years of my people here over in Australia and um, I'm very honoured to do this podcast um, in the earlier morning for you guys so I'm very excited for this podcast so where do we begin well let's um start with your book so your book was eye-opening for me and I haven't been to Australia yet and I don't really know anything about it so I look forward to hearing your take but so can we start by hearing a little bit um about your story about what it's like to be an aboriginal uh Australian um I I am Oh, my people, um, where I'm from, we're from the top end of um, Queensland and Australia, Yupangathi side for my father and um, his mother's side is Gungalita down in the um, bottom of the Gulf and Carpentaria of Queensland. I thought um, growing up as an Aboriginal woman and um, living in a diverse life, writing my book, We Are Warriors, um, I wanted people to understand how we lived over in Australia and the trauma and the the hidden behind the scenes and the journeys that um, us Aboriginal people go through. 
the, the racism, the discrimination, and for us to thrive through life itself as a human being, it's quite challenging over here. And um, I wanted the world to see my book through my eyes as we get um, told to be quiet about stuff, but no more. I don't think it's, you know, time to hide anymore. And, um, you know, my ancestors gave me that strength you know, mm-hmm. and that resilient to fight through these dark moments to write that book. It 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 was it's healing and also um, closure for me. Uh, I didn't um, heal for a very long time, and understanding that trauma as an Aboriginal woman and talking about it, we don't talk much about our trauma, but now societies open up to us, and we we want to heal one another, we want to help one another, and. Um, you know, we want to help our communities and grow stronger together, not just one person, but as a nation and, and communities. So we're warriors. The reason why I call it we're warriors because as women, we are warriors. You know, we take on a lot as women. We we go through a journey, you know, we, we're mothers, we're carers, we, we're doctors, we're everything to our people and um I wanted to show my people not to be afraid anymore and no more shame job, as we say over here, you know, about the poverty and domestic violence and the alcohol abuse to, you know, to gaining and being successful in the Australian Defence Force as well. So I changed, yeah, the, the setbacks in my life was quite challenging and very horrific at times where my book only gave a glimpse of my life and um, I didn't want to traumatise and, other people would have went through similarities and with different cultures, everyone's got different ways of seeing through life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I knew that you were Aboriginal, but when I saw your picture, you know, I, I saw a fair skinned woman with dark hair and uh, straight hair. And I know that natives come in all skin colors, hair and eye colors, but I have to admit, I was kind of shocked in your book when you said that people called you black because that's not the color of your skin so I didn't know how to take that and it didn't sound like colorism to me because the color's not accurate but it sounds like culturalism you know about being aboriginal so either I'm not getting it or the people who are calling you black aren't getting it but so what is your take on that and how um, did that discrimination impact your life that you know Laura some people are taught um, hate and um we were taught to look at one another with respect, not by the colour of our skin. And my ancestors are quite dark and so is my grandmother. And, uh, you know, I'm proud of the colour of my skin. And whether you're black, white or brindle, it's how you treat a person. You know, it's people are so afraid of your colour. They they think that you're the lowest of the low, you know, but you're not. You, you have something that you want to show to the world and you want to teach them your cultural ways and, bring them in and, and acknowledge them but people still treat us as we're divided and I just think it's still unfair no matter where you go people I know because of my skin I'm quite fair because of the colonization that happened in Australia mm-hmm. um, many many years ago so it divided our people but it gave us you know where there's um, this where there's intergenerational trauma there's also intergenerational wisdom as well so mm-hmm. You know, we can't um, keep living in the past and move forward, but we want to be acknowledged as Aboriginal people of Australia. And um, I'm, I'm a very proud um, Aboriginal woman 
and and an Indigenous and Black woman too. So there's many strong um, Black people over here, but, you know, different countries, different views. Everyone has a different um, point of view to things and um, that's how the world sees sees me and uh, I don't see world as colour, I see world as people and humans. Well, did it, so poverty must have been hard. Domestic violence, addiction must have been hard. Was it even harder because of that racism? It was because no matter the colour, because we're Indigenous Aboriginal people, when you went to go and look for employment, the colour of your skin for housing, we lived in um, poverty for months in the creek, you know, and because of the colour of my parents' skin and um, my grandfather was quite dark, a very dark-skinned person because, you know, when you look at us, you expect full-blood people. We do come from a full-blood and my people are very dark, but they just think we, you know, when people look at you for the colour of your skin, you're knocked back for a lot of things. They think you, you know, we... We didn't ask for our people to be taken away, but there's a good and bad in everything, you know. So um, that stolen generation to everything and that colourness needs to go. But unfortunately, that's the world and people have been brought up like that. And we, we're, still, we're still fighting for our freedom to, to this day here in Australia, no matter where we are and no matter what culture you are, you still, you still got to be acknowledged, you know. And we're slowly getting there, but We've got a long way to go. So has it gotten better since you were little? It has because now I have power for myself. I um, I understood the system. The system was still fighting to this day because putting in and, out, in and out of foster care, you know, and trying to get that help, I was just another uh, black kid. They just ignore the system, said they were here to help us, but actually they put more trauma towards us and um, it's quite sad because you have people out there that are trying to work along with you but because of the system it still wants to divide us all and um, I, I do have my days honestly I um, my husband he's not indigenous he's he's a white guy and um, I do have that racism still called at me but you know what I do I use that as um, self-love so when people carry on like that, I, I just think they, they need more love in their life and understanding of my culture. Mm-hmm. If they come up and spoke to me and understand who we are and what we want to give, I think the world will be a bit more a better place, to be honest. But that's it's the world. We we can't um we can't change who we are and, and I'm and we're proud of who we are, you know. So I don't want to change. Everyone's got different cultures and um you can't you know, people can't just tell you to change and stop your culture because of their beliefs and um, that it's who we are and it's it's what we've been, um, our ancestors passed down onto us and that's what makes us stronger people today and that kids fighting through those darkest moments, like a, that resilience, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that um, for people who don't know, as you said, um, the Australian Aboriginals were uh, colonised people and they, they were forcibly removed from their parents, sent to boarding schools like the natives here. They were forbidden from speaking their language. And I would also guess that forbidden from practicing your spiritual ways and add to that the discrimination, the lack of equal access to the law, education, jobs and other opportunities, as well as I, I would imagine you guys had exposure to disease and, and massacre, too, like we did yeah. here. Yeah. And 
Yeah, that's a huge hurt to heal from. So what efforts are being made in Aboriginal communities to over that, overcome that trauma? So here we have lots of um, native, um, native inspired, native run, native um, participants. So natives healing natives. Do you have the same thing over there? Yeah, we, we have a lot of, we call it ceremonies, um, ceremonials like over here, like a lot of our mob go back to country and we nurture our communities and helping rise, you know, connect to our culture and healing from the trauma that um, that was passed down onto us. And um, we still do, you know, back in our communities, we still go see our elders and we sit down and do that healing and smoking ceremony. We get men's business and women's business and that's still strong in our culture over here. So that's one thing I, I, I hold close to my heart because it's um, something that's passed down and we're very grateful because that um, nurturing, it helps us heal because, you know, trying to break that um, cycle, repeating history from, mm-hmm. you know, like um, alcohol and abuse, abuse and everything that's been brought into our communities. We're trying to build our community stronger over here and, um educate each other and, you know, look after one another, not only just our people, the people that surround it and those that um, support us too. Mm-hmm. And the Australian, so unlike here, the Australian government has officially apologized and created uh, recommendations on how, how to right this wrong. So it's not just within your communities, but within your society. And that was in 1997. So 24 years ago, and have you all, as a community, as an Aboriginal community, seen the benefits of that? Yeah, we have. We it's the sorry day, and we and we do have NAIDOC week. Um, that's where we, all of us come together, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities come together, and we celebrate NAIDOC week. It's to let the nation into to understand our culture and what we have to give. And sorry day is a day where they said sorry to our people that um, our old people, that the stolen generation. And, you know, there's a lot of healing and trauma to that too, but that's another journey, that, that, that subject as well. So, you know, we got Reconciliation Week that um, we want to reconciliate, but there's, like I said, the system will always divide us, but we are trying to work together as a community and as one mob as well here in Australia. So. There's different states and different clans, like different tribes. So everyone's got mm-hmm. different trauma. So, you know, one might be over in the Northern Territory and then another one in Queensland and the WA. So everyone has different effects on what has happened. And, um, you know, it, it's a long journey for us. That's why we all, you know, trying to help build our, um, our Indigenous systems up for our people and build our communities to be stronger, to um to work together for that um, healing. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad to talk still, about that. Yeah, okay, still, still, still going, but it's, you know, um, the system will, it doesn't, you know, it might work for some, but it might work for others. Everyone has a different opinion on everything, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you talk about uh, reconciliation because in your book you talk about domestic violence. Your father hit your mother you bullied others, and then you also ended up hitting your father, which ended uh, his physical violence towards you. And you also said very clearly that your father was a good man uh, when he wasn't drunk and angry and that you loved him very much. So how do you reconcile the two? 
when I when I um, became the abuser back to my father, did the same in being nasty to the other people in the communities. It really it I had to stop and think, Laura, because you know what I was repeating what was suppressed down onto me from him. And one day when um, I spoke to him, I said, why? Because I can't do this. I said to him, I, I'm not the person that you're going to keep bashing. And he said to me, I, I had trauma. I, I've been sexually molested and it broke my heart. And you know what? It was time to sit down and listen. And a lot of our Indigenous men to Aboriginal men, they have a lot of, um, they sit down in silence and this is where we're building our communities once again for healing and trauma and for our men, like we have men business, <coughs> excuse me, and women business. So men talk about men's stuff and women talk about women. But when I saw myself doing that, I I was so disgusted in myself, um, Laura. I, I didn't see that I was a good person and then I turned around and, looked at what was triggering me to do those stuff and um, why did I turn to violence and then I understood I had so much anger and hate and resentment to him. I wanted to push it back but it was no way of doing that. It didn't um, It didn't resolve anything. It didn't make anything better. It just made things worse. So I went um, the mental way and sat down and spoke and we became closer and um, he you know, he owned his truth and, um, you know, we spoke about different strategies before he passed on. And, um, yeah, as I got older, I got more tools for myself and um, learnt how to send self-love back, not to send anger and, um, you know, be angry against my family and my people. And I did that healing when and got healing for myself. So I'm in a better place now than I um, when I was back then. and. Um, I was quite ashamed of what I did and um, so was he. You know, I can't speak for him, his past now, but I know at the end that we did have a good relationship and it did break me, but um, there's no excuse for domestic violence. Mm -hmm. I'm so appreciative that you're willing to talk about that openly because I think that there's a lot of people who have that shame and, and being too ashamed to talk about it and admit it interferes with the process of healing. And so I think yep. it takes courage to say, yeah, you know, this was my story. So I, I do appreciate, yeah, you, you sharing that. Um, do you think that that you're saying that there was so much hate in you and, you know, because you were hurt, do you think that that's the reason for the higher statistics of domestic violence in the mainstream Australian population than, I'm sorry, in the indigenous population than in the mainstream population? Or it's something else? Um, it's, you know what, it is the, um, what you said, you nailed it there. Um, we did, you know, when, like, like I said, when there's intergenerational trauma, it does get suppressed down from families to families to generation to generation. And a lot of them still healing and a lot of our old people don't talk. And I was hurt. I, I was sexually abused and I was so angry at my parents because they meant to protect me, but there was... They was too busy dealing with their own demons and um, mm -hmm. they forgot about the own kids, you know, and I was thinking, you know, you're supposed to be our protectors, not mm -hmm. because they were going through their own pain and trauma. We were sort of, you know, left left to, to fight them, those demons and those 
those people that hurt us. And, um, you know, when I got older, I sat down and spoke to my parents and they, you know, they were a young couple. They had me when I was 15 and 16. So they were mm. still trying to understand the system and what they was going through um, physically and emotionally too. So, you know, they both lost their parents at a young age too, like their mums and um, they just had their fathers and, you know, living trauma and not understanding and think it's okay to just go and grab alcohol and drink. You think you're going to drink it away, but you're not, but you're putting more pain and trauma onto mm-hmm. your family. It's it's something a kid don't want to see and um, I think that's why I spoke up. And even though it opened up a, a, a can of worms, I didn't care anymore because I, I was like, I'm getting too old for this and I think it needs to stop and break that cycle and that's what I'm my main focus is to break that cycle and, and help heal. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that caught me in your book was uh, going to school with bruises. And it, it, my, as I'm reading this, I was thinking, you know, doesn't anybody notice? Because it didn't seem like there was any help there. Was Were your teachers also Aboriginal or was it just a, a racist thing or? Why didn't anybody say anything? Um, there was one teacher. She she was my grade six teacher. She did, you know, she did try to help. Um, she told the family services, and um, unfortunately, the family service came around, and it just caused more trauma to us uh. kids. So when they left, um, we the the violence repeated itself again, and. You know, mm. no one wanted to be around you. No one, but I think people were afraid to talk up too. But then the system, you know, um, the politics and everything was still happening because we're living in an Aboriginal reserve as well. So it's a place where you have to stay and um, you can't go out of there. So for all the people that came in from the Cherry and other little remote areas had to stay in that area. And, um, you know, that's we had to sit down and continue to go through that trauma. And I just wish someone did take notice. But when they did, they, the system, it took a while because they put me back into it. They took me out and then they put me back in and it's like, hey, didn't you see me get traumatised and mentally mm-hmm. abused and physically abused, but you plan to put me back in, back into the environment where you once took me from? You know, what? can you try help? But there was no help until I got older. I try to scream out for plenty of times for help, but, mm-hmm. you know, once they left the house, then I got another hiding, you know, and it weren't a little smack on the bum. It was quite brutal at times. And, um, you know, I felt um, very sorry for my mum because she would get the blame for me talking up. And once again, we went back through that cycle and, um, yeah, it was very, very difficult. Though. It made me want to, um, you know, commit suicide because I didn't want to live there anymore I didn't want to live in this world because of what was happening so you said a bunch of things that that I want to touch on so I I think I'm going to be jumping around here a little bit but um I do want to get back to the suicide but before that uh can you explain about the reserve thing I've never heard of that I'm not I don't know what that is okay back in um back in the 70s and 80s they the Aboriginal reserve. So when you moved um, from a town, you had to go to a certain area. So where they knew the politics, um, the politicians and that, like 
they knew how many Indigenous people were living in that area. So, for um, for instance, if they came from another town, they had to write to the government to go to that town and reason why and how yeah. long they're there for. So we had to still report back to the, um, you know, to the government back then. And it was the, the way I saw it, it was the way to keep an eye on us and um, to see how many people were coming and where we were coming from. So I don't, I don't think we were accepted into the um, non-Indigenous society then. I think it was just all falling into place from the government because everything was still coming through and out. You know, back then when you're a kid, you sort of don't take notice. But now when you grow up, it's like, wow, that's what happened then. And yeah. all the, you know, freedoms of rights were coming through. So we were still living in that environment where, you know, we we had to go still under the Act, you know, the, um, the Government Act back then. So that's what Aboriginal reserves were called. So now they, um, now we all live out, we spread out everywhere and um, we no longer live like that, uh, only from um, some places, some people, you know, they're very protective and they protect their communities. And, um, no, we, the Aboriginal communities in Australia, we we try to um, keep our tradition, keep going and our cultural because that's our strong connection. That's that's everything to us. That's our ancestors the earth, the everything to us. So we still connect back to the earth. So those Aboriginal reserves were just to keep us all in, under one hat, if that makes sense. That sounds awful. So you didn't have the freedom to move about and, and were these reserves in your ancestral lands or these are just, they just said, okay, this is where you have to go. No, that's what the government, under the act then, that's what the government did. Um, in our ancestral lands, there were missions where they pulled our people away and put them there for the Christianity. But that's through that colonisation, you know, I, I was a bit too young for that. I, I wasn't born then. My grandfather went through that and it sort of still was pushed down from them to us kids. But <clears throat> these days our communities have taken back over, taken the try to take back over the communities, our, our elders, you know, our traditional owners, um, but I think now, you know, it's a different point of view. Like you can go into communities freely now without um, needing any um, government, um, you know, uh, what's that, permission to go back to where you come from. Oh, my gosh, it's, I think, yeah, awful. That's just awful. I mean, better now, but yeah. awful that, that, that you have to go through that. Um, and so piggybacking yeah. back to the suicide um, comment, uh, I know that the suicide rate for Aboriginal people is higher than non-Aboriginal people and for women in particular. And it's also true here. It seems like it's so common there that it's not a big deal. And early in your book, you talked about it was your, I think it was your uncle's suicide. And it, the way that it landed to me, and this might not have been the way that it was, but it was like it because it only it rated like a paragraph and it seemed like it was so common that it was just oh this happened this happened today like oh it rained you know um yeah is that yeah. is that how it was you know what Laura? um then our men didn't have anyone to talk to you know they they don't then they had any men's group to talk about their PTSD or what there was going on going you know 
So suicide rates were pretty high because, you know, I don't know what happened with my uncle for him to do that to himself and then following on to my, you know, other family members to do the same, you know, it's um, it's quite common because we don't know how to deal with our emotions and pains. I think we turn to alcohol and suicide to to kill it because we, no matter how many times we scream out for help, no one's listening. And now I think everyone's trying to work together. That's why we start, um, you know, a lot of these Indigenous um, corporations trying to help our mob, even myself, I started my own business to help because suicide is, yeah, it was, it was like, you know, it was like you're walking past a fight and you keep going, you see something, it's a, something trauma, but you had to accept it. You got mm. to accept it and move on. And you know what? No one ever came and sat down with any of our families to say, hey, you know, your family, so on, so just committed suicide. Do you need some mental health plan or nothing ever happened then to our people? We just continue mm. to live our everyday life and we still do to live our everyday lives and trying to find the answers. But I think our old people are trying their best now and thanks to them, you know, and everyone in the communities are working together and we're still rising. It's still a um, big progress at the moment and I think that's why we're all um, studying to be doctors and um, psychologists and counsellors and health workers mm -hmm. to help our people because we're tired of seeing our people keep hurting themselves. So, yeah, our people stepped up more and um, which is amazing. I love it because I... I'm connected to so many that have come from traumatic homes that turn their whole life around to help their people, you know, our people. Yeah, so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's something we see all the time, Laura. It's nothing that you don't brush off like funerals. You see, you go to funerals. Wow, it's so common seeing going to a funeral. It's very draining, that energy. It drains your energy. But we go because we are, we've got a very close bond and that spiritual connection with our people. So... When someone passes away in the community, we all goes, and it it's a gathering that for healing and grieving together. And the way we grieve and heal, it's a different way to the um, non-indigenous society. We we do we we grieve in a different way. We sit down with our families, and we sit down and eat bush tucker, and we talk to one another, and we do the traditional ways, and we sit down on the ground and respect one another and our elders and. That's something very that I still hold special to me. So because when I go back home for any sorry business, as we say over here, it's um something that we we're still healing from. Mm. I hope that I hope that makes that answer yes. clear. Yes, I mm. love yeah, I love that. I think funerals are the best. I mean, nobody wants to go to a funeral, but the the love and support that you get there is just amazing. So I know yeah. we talked about a lot of the, the hardships of being Aboriginal, um, but there's also strengths. So can you tell us about some of those? Oh, I tell you, I, um, I could cry for my strength. I, I, I believe that I wouldn't be the woman I am today from, you know, from my ancestors because they that strength and that spiritual strength too, you know, gave me that resilience to fight through everything. And... Um, no matter how many times I had setbacks, that strength gave me courage and gave me power to be a stronger woman, you know, and um, it wasn't easy. It, it's a journey, that, but that consistency, you know, kept moving forward to better myself and um, helping 
you know, myself rise and to help my own people rise as well and connect. So that healing and um, back to country and all that kind of um, things we do as Indigenous people, we love it. That's what made me strong. So that's what gave me that strength. And not only that, it fought, um, you know, I fought through a lot of things, you know, um, poverty, domestic violence, alcohol, alcohol abuse and um, racism, everything. And, you know, I'm quite happy. My journey, I, you know, I got, I gave, got healing and closure and I, I always will heal every day till the day I die. So I'm, I'm living a happy life now. So I'm still trying to, you know, understand um, a lot of things, but that's what life's all about. It's all about learning and growing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it sounds like um, going to the military and meeting your husband were also two uh, impactful and turning huge turning points in your life. So how did that help to create change and healing for you? Oh, my husband was, I'll tell you, he, he was my safe heaven. He, um, I spoke to him the way our culture is and being a, um, an Australian, a non-Indigenous um, man, you know, he's very respectful and um, he understood me and um, <clears throat> I would tell him when I would have a breakdown and, and how I would feel because I would want to pack up and go camping and go back at Bush and um, meeting him in the Defence Force was amazing because um, he's very grounding where I'm very, um, my energy is quite high and um, he's very, you know, like harmonised and, <laughs> very um like brings me back down to earth if that makes sense and no it gave me gave me a bigger picture to life and um you know uh, you know code switching between two worlds is I just wanted to see a better place for myself and um no I, I love being in the defense um it taught me a lot but it taught me to be a stronger woman as myself and how to stand up and um never let anyone pull me down you know so yeah, I got a lot of um, strength and um, that from the defence and even my husband, he, he still helps me to this day. We're both doing on each other and I think that's what it makes our, our relationships very strong. Mm-hmm. And you talked about uh, camping. So like everywhere, lots of people move to cities for job opportunities and um, so they're away from the land. And does does being away from the land and not having that same contact with your ancestral lands and um, impact your sense of having a home? Because I know you moved around a lot too. Yeah, it did. Um, it did. You know, we moving around a lot. Like we kept going back to dad's mum's country and um, the Gungalita side, and um, I, you know, that was healing for us. And um, going back, you know, when I'm, I'm down, I'm not where my country is, but I, I acknowledge the um, ancestors of this country and the old people to say, hey, look, I'm on your land, um, look after me, you know, and I'm very grateful for being here. Um, I do miss home and home is where the heart is and um, I still go back every now and then and um, I'm due for another big trip back home to take my kids and, um, you know, to show my old people that, you know, I went out to do something better than... Um, this repeating cycle, you know, that the alcohol abuse cycle, I went out and did something to benefit our people in our community. So going back home, camping to me is healing. So I would put my feet in the ground and I would be mm-hmm. grateful for Mother Earth and um, 
for, you know, the ground roots of my old people's country. And um, it's something that that spiritual connection, that healing that us Aboriginals have very strong. And that's one thing I'm very grateful because our culture is very strong and um, that that makes me proud, makes me happy who I am, you know. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, Tina, I appreciate you. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your story. Our guest today is Tina Haywood. And Tina, can you tell us how to get in touch with you about any events or products that you have available? Um, to get in touch with me, I have um, my business, um, bluebutterflysky.com.au. And if you look up Tina Haywood, um, We Are Warriors author, um, you will find my book, An Aboriginal Woman's Life. Um, and on my business side, it has my email, Tina, uh, tmhayes23 um, at gmail.com as well. So through my business site, my website, and I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, on Facebook. So you find, you look me up, you find me everywhere. I'm quite um, popular on social media at the moment. So <laughs> I'm, I'm everywhere. So it's quite good. So I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. We love questions. Don't forget to reach out with your questions and comments and please leave us a review for the podcast. If you enjoyed it and check us out too. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. If you're on any of those social media platforms, I'm Laura Giles and I'll see you guys next week. 